quick tip advice to anyone listening do not angel invest if you're going to invest invest with like a bc as in b these guys do it for a living there's a reason that they charge the fees that they choose Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. Okay, everybody, thank you for tuning in to another Global From Asia podcast. It is episode 193, and Angelica's here. How are you? Doing good, Mike. How about you? I'm great. I feel like I'm the weatherman on this show, but uh, I just saw mm-hmm. some news about Japan coming with a typhoon this weekend. <laughs> Seems like <laughs> everything is a rainstorm in the world, but... I am doing great. Uh, been talking to a lot of people about the upcoming matchmaker event. Uh, it's been busy, and just uh, Wendy's been helping out a lot there. And and then uh, the member series you've been working on has been one of our more successful uh, content. People really like reading about these people's stories. It is pretty cool, right? I, I actually yeah. even I learned about some of the members more so let's uh Mm -hmm. also we have an announcement right masterminds yeah we have our um actually our mastermind we're going to um have it again by october so i'll be um updating our forum for the um details and also the link um they can actually register on on um using the google form that you have shared so yeah i think um they can see the details on on our forums and hope they can join yeah it's gonna be a great great one i've i've been uh catching you up a little bit about masterminds and so those that don't know what a mastermind is it's it's basically a a round table uh napoleon hill the author of think and grow rich i think is the one that coined the name and he says at the end of his towards the end of the book that you need to surround yourself with people like you and people trying mm-hmm. to to make a difference in their life so yeah we we do this to help get you guys all together and it's gonna be pretty actively managed uh i'm working with you we're gonna make sure people get in a group make sure people are doing the group calls every couple of weeks and uh, I'll be on it too. So I think it's going to be a great one. If you guys were just adding more and more value to our VIP membership, I was talking to Neil O'Connor. He's a listener mm-hmm. and he's been excited to hear us talking about membership more. So yeah, I, of course these podcasts are going to stay free, but we need to uh, also have ways for super fans to join us and connect with us more. So check it out yes. at, Global, we have a public page about about it at globalformation.com slash mastermind. We can link this up on the show notes. So thanks, everybody, for your support and 
appreciate you guys listening. So who's actually on a member series this week? Um, actually, for this week, we have uh, Russell Smith. So we already have that on our website. So they can go to www.globalfromasia.com slash VIP-members. And they can check out all the um, featured members that we already have on the website. So, so far, we, um, we have three members. And uh, there are still um, uh, a couple of members lined up for the coming weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to <laughs> to have this um, going and hopefully um, this will help our members to also get to know other members as well. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's uh, let's let's keep rocking on that. So for this week's show, we have Jay Kim from the K- J Kim show. He's based in Hong Kong and he's another podcaster. He's got uh, an amazing podcast. I recommend you guys listen to it's about investing and, and uh, he's an investor himself. So we talk about investments. It's a, it's a hot topic for both sides. People want to get invested in as a startup and investors want to find good opportunities. So he's been pioneering this and it's a, it's interesting topic where we talk about portfolio management, the Hong Kong startup scene specifically, and uh, and tips for people to invest abroad. So cross-border matchmaker is coming up and we've been doing amazing connecting with really top Chinese sellers and international sellers as well as service providers. And we uh, want to give a shout out to some of our sponsors. You probably have never even heard of these companies. So it's kind of exciting to be able to bridge this Chinese and uh, international. It's again October twenty seventh, Friday in Shenzhen, Huachan Bay. But if you can't make it, you're going to be hearing some great updates from speakers and and sponsors. So here is one iRobot Box. They are an ERP software. So what they do is they help put together all of your orders from Amazon, eBay, Wish, dot com, AliExpress, Walmart, Lazada, C Discount, and more. Basically. What we've been saying at this podcast, Global From Asia, is you can truly have a global business from Asia. You know, you might not have even heard of some of these these marketplaces yet. You know, Southeast Asia, we're talking about, you know, Africa. Actually, in the future shows, we're going to be talking about how to sell in Africa and uh, sell in Middle East and sell in uh, different parts of the world with different marketplaces. So sometimes these software companies here actually have these integrations where sometimes in overseas markets might not yet. And another sponsor for cross-border matchmaker is Yun Express. Yun in Chinese means cloud. And what they are specializing is it's a global logistics service provider for cross-border e-commerce companies. Their advantage is speed. They become one of the biggest logistics companies here in China. They have over 50 kinds of different ways you can ship your e-commerce products from customized solutions, of course, to the standard, you know, standard courier and stuff. They have three different categories of shipping, post and express. B2C dedicated lines and first leg services to Amazon FBA warehouses. They don't even have an English website yet. It's yunexpress.com. So if you want to use some of the services, I know a lot of times English speaking or my foreign friends always ask me, how do Chinese companies have such fast and low cost shipping? This is one of them you should look at. They work with DHL, UPS, Deutsche Post, Royal Mail, Correos, all these different ones. So 350 staff around the world, seven offices in China and 10 centers and facilities around the world in US, Europe, and other places. Check them out at unexpress.com. But please note, they are English 
coming soon under construction as a Chinese-only website, so you might have to have a Chinese team member help you out. Again, this is really exciting for me to have uh, more of these Chinese service providers and sellers getting onto the show. So stay tuned for more of that. Uh, there's some pretty big sellers I'll be interviewing too. But let's go into this t- this week's show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another Global From Asia podcast. We have with us another fellow Asia podcaster, Jay Kim from the Jay Kim Show. Thanks for being here, Jay. Thank you for having me on, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, so we're exchanging shows, so I'll definitely link to to yours, or, or we'll update the notes with, uh, if depending on timing, uh, with our interview on your show too. So, so it's great to have more podcasters. You're just getting started, right? It's uh, well, you know, probably a little bit later when this is online. But you started uh, in the end of 2016 or seven, uh, early 17. Yeah. We actually launched at the beginning of 2017. So, you know, we had a we had sort of a aggressive launch. Uh, we did we were doing like three episodes a week for the first eight weeks, and then we scaled that back to weekly. And so, I think I just published 43, which is actually now that I look back, it's it's quite a bit given it's only been six months. But yeah, that's a lot. I'm still a newbie for sure. I mean, I, I'm still sort of learning the ropes and and uh, I still occasionally get nervous before I have to a big guest comes on and this this sort of thing. But sure. um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, I, I uh, when I was when I started, I had Google searched podcasts in Asia and uh, there were three of them. And you 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 own two of them, so <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. And and you'd been podcasting for a while now, right? Yeah, thir- two thousand thirteen. I October thirteen, I started, and yeah, I mean, I'm not sure the number of this episode, but yeah, we've been over a hundred and eighty now, close to two hundred, and mostly weekly. Sometimes I actually took a not a break, but I was every other week for a little while. Believe it or not, some of my listeners said weekly is too much for them to keep up. I mean, we, oh wow, yeah. So, so um, yeah, I, I love, I love it. I mean, a lot of people still don't even know what podcasts are. I think there's a lot of opportunity for even listeners to start shows or others. You know, I think uh, especially in Asia, we need more. We need more people like us uh, spreading the good news. And so you, you are an investor, and you. You share your show has quite some big guests too, and and you you're kind of helping listeners and your audience learn more about the uh, kind of like investment opportunities or insights in in China and Asia. Um, maybe first, I'm curious how did how did you what's your story of getting into the investing world? Yeah, I mean, I I think that we have very similar backstories. You know, I I started off uh, on Wall Street as well. I was working for. Lehman Brothers, so uh, not too far from where where you started, uh, you know, yeah. on your career up up on Wall Street. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I was I after school graduated from school, I went straight up to New York, was working on Wall Street. I literally I I've always sort of uh, been interested in making money, uh, and uh, obviously I didn't really have any sort of uh, hard skills. So I always turn to the markets uh, as a place for me to 
learn and and basically try to make some money out of uh, trading and, and this sort of thing. So, you know, I didn't, I, I, it took me a long time to sort of really understand and wrap my head around uh, what what Wall Street was. Uh, but that was sort of my, my early days uh, in learning how to invest. Um, you know, I was, I started off in the back office, but then uh, after a couple of years, I moved down to the trading floor. I was working with the convertible securities desk uh, as like a trader assistant. And then an opportunity came up in Asia. And so I, I moved over to Hong Kong in 2005. And initially I was working for a, a small family office uh, and we were we had launched a commodity fund, trading fund. And so we were doing that for uh, just several months. And we basically had some positions that went against us uh, out of favor and we had pretty tight stop losses on them. And so we basically blew out of the positions and decided uh, there it was it was like a, almost like an experiment because they were like, OK, you guys are too young. You guys don't really know what you're doing. We're shutting you down. So that was uh, my initial my very first sort of fund management experience, startup experience that uh, ended very quickly. And so I naturally went back to Wall Street in Hong Kong. I joined Bear Stearns. Uh, another firm that I worked for that doesn't exist. Yeah, and, I was going to say. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and so I, this time I, I joined sales. And uh, so I was a sales trader first. And then uh, a few years later, I was in research sales, institutional sales. And um, it kind of balanced me out because I think sales is also very a very useful and necessary skill for an entrepreneur to have. But yeah. You know, back then I didn't. I wasn't an entrepreneur or anything like that. I wasn't uh, interested in in that side of it. I was m- mostly focused on sort of my day job and then investing on my own. And so naturally, when you're uh, you know working at a investment bank, you're you hear about all these stocks and stuff like that that you can trade. Um, there's obviously compliance that you have to deal with uh, with every single trade. And so mm. I started thinking, you know what, I'm not going to make a lot of good money uh, by just trying to cherry pick, you know, little stock ideas here and there, you know. And so when I took a step back and I started looking at, you know, different asset classes, I realized that the outsized returns were uh, were not going to be made for me, at least in the stock market, uh, which is very sort of you have to have the right psychology and it's very emotion you have to be very have a very stable emotions uh, emotional balance when you trade financial markets but for me it was uh looking into sort of the private equity side and so uh and and this was actually it, my interest was peaked initially when i was working with that family that family office because we were looking at some private deals as well in addition to the commodity fund and so it kind of opened my eyes to this whole other asset class of investing and it got me re- to realize that uh you know the the outsized returns if you know what you're doing and you have the right connections can be made uh much easier for someone like myself in in private equity and so whether that's investing in startups early stage or maybe like a mezzanine level sort of like investing into existing businesses that might need have a funding gap that 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 needs to be filled or or maybe there's a pivot or uh or a opportunity to invest in to provide capital for a company that needs cash and so there was this whole other side of of the financial world that I'd never really been exposed to. And it was only because I started 
Um, so my, one of my best friends out here was, was the guy that I started working with at the family office. And he's from Hong Kong originally. He's a high school buddy of mine. And, uh, and he, he kind of brought me into this um, somewhat closed family office type circle where people, uh, when you're in that network, you, you get shown a lot of deals. But if you're outside the network, you wouldn't even know that this sort of network exists. Interesting. Yeah. So that was my sort of first foray with more private equity type investments and not liquid markets. And so that was my start as an investor. Yeah. Now I, I, I work, I actually work at, at a hedge fund now. Um, so I left the sell side in 2014 after, uh, my daughter was born, I, I was just burnt out. And, um, you know, I mean, after the financial crisis, basically the sell side was never the same. It was just a drag. It's just been a drag since. And unlike you who saw the writing on the wall and, and pulled the ripcord, uh, early and, uh, <laughs> and was able to escape, I was stuck in that rat race uh, with the golden handcuffs and trying to just eke out more money. But the, the, the entire time I was doing it, it was actually after the financial crisis where I was quote unquote side hustling it, but it wasn't like side hustling in the traditional sense, traditional, even though that word is pretty new, traditional sense that I was actually like building business or something on the side. I was, I was side hustle investing. Uh, so I would be taking my bonus money or whatever my savings were. And I would be looking at uh, different opportunities, non-equity, non uh, public equity market related, but looking at private deals and this sort of thing on the side and just trying to uh, to grow my, uh, my savings that way. Um, so I, I won't even call it net worth because I don't, I'm not worth anything, but it was just really trying to pad my savings account. Um, so Very cool. yeah, that was how I got, got started in the whole thing. Nice. Nice. So, so that's a, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of different steps there. I mean, um, even I have the goal one day to be an investor. I think a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners always want to, you know, like, leverage a little bit and diversify um especially i mean i guess also in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs and startups uh you know what are what are some tips maybe you think that people should look for i mean you said like network getting deal flow is that that probably sounds like a hard hard thing right to get those opportunities yeah so um it's it's pretty interesting it 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 is and it isn't and uh and i think that you know, I mean, look, when 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 I was when I was working on Wall Street, I, I mean, basically, at the end of the day, my my goal was, OK, how can I get financial security in a short amount of time as possible? Right. And so the obvious step coming out of college was get the highest paying job you can, Wall Street, and learn the skills that you can and try to parlay that into the next best thing. And then so after the tech bubble crashed, you know, it was kind of like, okay, I'm not going to join a startup, even though that was seemingly the quickest way to becoming a multimillionaire or whatever, whatever being being financially independent. And so I started reading a lot of books about, you know, like books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. I think there was one called like The Millionaire Next Door or something like that. And it, it talks about all these people that made it and how, uh, how they had multiple streams of income right and so my whole thing was always uh i still remember this you know back in 2002 or three when i got my first couple decent bonuses i i was always like okay i have to take this money and and you, you know it wasn't enough to buy an apartment or anything like that but it was like i have to 
do something with this money. I can't just let it sit in the savings account because I want multiple streams of income. So now when you when you talk about how to get into this sort of thing, you know, like maybe you have, I don't know, a, a, a little bit of savings and, and that sort of thing, and you, you're looking to, to make some investments. So there's a lot of things that you have to, to understand. And the most important thing is, in, as is the case with all investing, um, you know, capital preservation or protecting your, your assets is should be paramount. I mean, that should be number one, right? So the early mistakes that I used to make was, hey, you know, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, um, you gotta pay to play. You know, like risk reward. If you don't, you know, you have to, you have to bet if you want to win. And this sort of that mentality is was uh, it was exactly why I lost a lot of money uh, investing into startups initially, right? So capital preservation is definitely the first thing, most important thing that you have to remember if you're looking to make any sort of investment. And so that's why I turned into uh, this closed circle of, of people that I knew, uh, was acquainted to, people that I trusted, you know, that um, I knew we could co-invest together. And I knew it's kind of like, Okay, if 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 Mike Michelini uh, vouches for this guy and he's putting his money in it, then you know I trust Mike. He's a smart guy. He knows what's going on with cross border and and this and that. And I, I trust his judgment. I'm going to throw a little bit of money in with him. And so that's essentially you know scaled down. That's what it was. Okay. I, yeah. So I was sort of lucky uh, because I had this this uh, this sort of quasi network already before. Before I even moved to Hong Kong, but what I will say is, you know, that classic saying, "Your network is your net worth." Yeah, um, it, it's it's definitely one of those things. And and the but the good news is for listeners is that it's a lot easier in Hong Kong uh, and in Asia to network if you really want to get out there. You know, so I within probably six months of landing here. I had already sort of reached out and I, I, you just have to get out there and put yourself out there. And I met a lot of people and Hong Kong is such a small place. And I imagine it's similar to when you first arrived in, in China and started networking. I mean, within a year for sure, you could pretty much meet whoever you want to mm -hmm. or meet the guy who knows the guy that you want to meet. And I couldn't even, I couldn't imagine doing something like that in New York uh, but in Hong Kong, it was very easy, and it was kind of like, "Oh, you know, do you know this guy? Do you know that guy? Oh, he's friends with that guy. You should uh, let me introduce you to him, and he'll he'll let you he'll introduce you to that guy." So, and you know exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. You know, for listeners, it's probably uh, you might not have an idea, but I'm telling you right now on record that it's it's a lot easier than you think to network and and find uh, the people that you seek uh, if that's what you want to do. It's true. It's true. Uh, so it goes actually into into a question I have here. Sounds like, I mean, of course, a lot of our listeners are eager to come to Asia. Maybe they've been here, or maybe they're here already. Do they have to? Would you think they'd have to be here to to get that network? Or of course, like it is amazing to we we met in Holly Brown a lot. I, I like that coffee shop. And yeah. do you think that that's? Uh, of course, that's always face to face is always preferred. I, I get emails sometimes from from listeners that want to meet and they're in for town for a couple of days. Of course, I'd love to be everybody. And, um, is that something you think is, is required? I guess, of course, investing is a bigger, a bigger yeah. thing to do. So I, I really think that, uh, again, if you take this from a, uh, I, I, I want to, investing is all about information. How much information can I get, uh, before I make an educated 
bet or you know or take an ed- ed- educated uh, investment uh, into a certain whatever deal. So the more you know about a situation, the better. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the more people you meet face to face, I mean, th- there's nothing that beats that. You can have Skype video calls and you won't really know uh, the type of person until you actually meet them. And that mm-hmm. really cements it, I think, on an interpersonal level. Uh, to answer your question, um, unless you have a trusted party that is on the ground in Asia, someone that you would literally say, here's my money, I trust you implicitly to the point where you can take my money and I'll, you know, and you can invest it. I would say that it's it's quite difficult because again, the market's very fluid out here. The deals come and go very quickly, and you know you want to be sort of here or have a partner that's on the ground that can help facilitate that. And it's just you know, I mean, it's the same reason why you moved to China. It's just it, it, having a physical presence in a in a region that you're doing business. It just gives you so much more leverage, so much more of an advantage, right? Mm-hmm. I totally, yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, there's AngelList and there's there's even some local, local, I believe, uh, Hong Kong s- startups trying to help help investors. And and you're doing it with your show and and other things. I'm sure you're listening to your your listeners. But I'm I I wish there was a way. Maybe there's gonna be a VR in the future, or you know, AR VR kind of thing where they can just oh, right. see you. I've yeah. So, so, I mean, what about actually making the investment? I guess giving money. I guess I, I'm actually not as versed in the invest. I was on tr- more of a trading floor in New York, but I know there's like LPs and then there's like uh, investors. Or and is this happening in startup levels too? Or how? I know yeah. there's everyone wants to kind of support. You know, try to put in some some money. I mean, I guess I'm kind of curious a little bit about the technicality. I yeah, mean, sure. In Asia or Hong Kong or so so. My education started because in Silicon Valley, because when I started looking at early stage investing in like 2009, 2010, the ecosystem in Hong Kong was very nascent. There was hardly anything. And it was around the same time as some like the government invest HK started knowing that, okay, we have to get some uh, something going here. Um, you know, they're like like companies like Facebook and Twitter were approaching like extremely large late stage valuations and they were getting ready to IPO, but the climate wasn't right yet. And I think Groupon IPO in 2012, I think, or 11, but it was, it was, it was there, like it was on the, on the radar. So everyone all of a sudden is like, Oh, what's going on? Startups, startups. Like I have to, I have to, uh, I have to know what's going on here. So I looked around Hong Kong, there was nothing, no education, no support, I immediately went to Silicon Valley. I would take my vacation days from my job and and go and go to conferences and just try to learn. And initially, I stupidly put uh, decided, but to myself that oh, I'm going to be an angel investor and I'm going to start writing checks uh, from (laughs) anywhere from say ten to twenty five thousand US, and I can pick I can pick winners. I'll pick the next Facebook. So first of all. My bankroll ran out very quickly. <laughs> Second of all, oh, no. it, uh, angel investing is like the worst uh, way to to burn your cash. So, quick tip of advice to anyone listening: do not angel invest. If you're going to invest, invest okay. with like a VC, as in B. These guys do it for a living. There's a reason that they charge the fees that they do. So that's the your your best shot. Now, 
investing into anything that is early stage is, is, is not liquid, right? So you have to be ready that your money is going to be tied up for uh, 10 plus years. Okay. Um, so that's another thing that, that's another reason why a lot of people like to trade stocks because it's so liquid. It requires no minimum. You could literally buy $5 worth of stock and trade out of it the next day if you don't like it. So early stage investing is much more challenging. So I learned the hard way. <laughs> now, having said that, that there are certain things that you can do to leverage yourself. And um, so structuring wise, yeah, you're an LP. If you invest in a fund, you're an LP. Uh, if you invest in a startup, you're also, uh, a, I guess you just have equity or, or shares of the, the startup, depending on what stage you, you come in at. You know, they usually structure it as like a convertible note where you get you get uh, it's like a it's a loan. It's almost like a loan that you give them, but then it's convertible into shares on certain funding rounds down the line. So if, if they get to a series A, then there's there's ways that you can get uh, a percentage of the company. Now you'll keep getting diluted as the valuation goes up. But, you know, I mean, as a single person investor, it's it's quite difficult to hold on to your your uh, your share ownership, like percentage ownership. So I would say if you're an individual or even like a small sort of uh, group of investors that are pooling your money together, then I would avoid the individual companies and I would stick with VCs. And so in Asia, there's not really, so you mentioned AngelList. So AngelList is a great way to meet people. And it's also, I could see it becoming like almost like a recruiting tool, like a LinkedIn type thing Hmm. uh, for startups. But I think that uh, I don't know, I know they're trying to do some sort of thing like that in Asia. I've been approached by uh, invest hk to help with uh there there's a there's a one or two companies that are trying to get S- the sfc i guess is the regulatory body here in hong kong get approval for them to to actually do um that sort of uh investing on a tech platform for accredited investors in asia um and i actually heard that there's some of the i, don't, I can't remember if it's tech in asia or e27 or one of those guys are trying to do something similar or maybe link up with an existing platform that does something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit nuanced out here. Again, if you find a company that, let's say, you are interested in and maybe maybe you got you know, you have a lot of faith or, or whatever in this company. Um, you know, the companies in Hong Kong now are, are quite uh, they're, they're quite advanced. So fast forward to 2017, the startup scene is extremely, uh, extremely thriving and, and vibrant here. Now, you wouldn't even know that it, it didn't have a startup scene just five years ago. So, you know, there's conferences, there's the ecosystem has evolved. There's a, a lot of investors um, that are supporting the, the ecosystem. And there's a lot of good startups that are coming up, too. And so. If you, you know, I think the startups now have, have found that they have to become, they have to elevate their their game, their level. So they, you know, if you're an LP or an in, in, interested investor, then they're able to just, uh, you know, just like any startup, they're, they're able to either just issue you a convertible note or um, or if it's a fund, then they'll they'll bring you on as a limited partner of the fund. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty mature now in in Asia. It's just really it's finding the the winners, right? That's the hard part. Exactly, finding finding those right ones. But it's good. I like. I mean, I'm taking notes also for the show notes. But for myself, uh, capital preservation. Yeah, I mean, not <laughs> angel investing. Yeah, it's true, right? I mean, it's also 
I'm sure we all, we, you know, we all listen to Tim Ferriss. You know, he even says sometimes he took a break from investing because it's a lot of time, right? Yeah. Talk, yeah. He, talking to, to coffees, right? And with lots of people, uh, or you got to try to filter, but still, I mean, you got to meet these people and know the, know the business model and know the team. So there's a yeah, lot. It's, it's a ton of work. I mean, I remember... I was working for uh, an investment bank when I started angel investing and I was going into sneaking into the one of their conference rooms, taking calls during lunchtime and stuff like that, just screening companies, literally like I would have 30 minute calls like back to back with companies that, you know, the, the minute that you sort of set up a profile on AngelList and say you're an investor and uh, all of a sudden everyone wants money, right? And so they, you all of a sudden start getting flogged with all this uh, this sort of thing. And so it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Due diligence is a lot of work and, and you still have a, a very slim chance of, of finding a winner. But I'll I'll let you in a little bit, a uh, little secret here for your listeners. Um, so there's a, I was mentioning this family office thing. There's a little sweet spot of the family office, which it, traditional family offices, when you think about it in sort of the West, you think about like the Rockefellers or the Carnegies or like this huge, uh, you know, old money, old economy type uh, families that are have billions of dollars and, and they, they form a family office to manage their assets. Now, in Asia, the term and concept of family office is very is very immature. It's very young. And so most of the wealth in Hong Kong is is less than three generations old. And it's mostly from property, obviously, right? Because of the real estate prices here. So we've, you know, when my friend was like, okay, we're, we have a family office, we've set it up. And I was like, oh, you have, you have family office? Like, how much money do you actually need to like, call yourself a family office? And he was basically like, well, it doesn't really matter, actually, you know. And so we basically use that term, a family office, because we, we were pooling our money together uh, initially to make investments into these companies, right? So if I was writing, if we were researching a company and we wanted to invest in them and we wanted to write a $25,000 check, which is usually the minimum, I mean, some some take 10000 but... 25,000 amongst three or four of us is a lot better than amongst one of us, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of had this little family office club that where we pooled our money and we were making investments. Still didn't do that well because we were angel investing. But um, the whole, what the takeaway was that there was this whole like umbrella of family office. And it's when when you approach companies in the US or, or abroad and you come in as, as this family office class, of an investor, you're sitting above sort of the individual and almost at the institutional level because they kind of classify family offices as almost institutional grade um, investor. And so talk about like the doors you can open by simply, you know, you could literally, you know, form a company pull a little bit of capital and there's no there's not even it doesn't there's no law that says you have to have 10 million dollars to call yourself family office nothing like that you could literally just be taking your own personal savings set up a company and you could classify yourself as a family office mm -hmm. and you can have access to this sweet spot of of uh of of deals and and this sort of thing and, and the minimums change too you know like if you're 
if you're an individual investor, then you have to invest X amount. And then if, if it's a family office, then there's a different level, but it's less than institutional, but then you get more access and this sort of thing. So um, it, that, that, that's one little sort of secret that I found uh, over the years where I was, I'm investing, I was investing in different companies. And so I always operate under uh, that sort of umbrella, that title of a family office. Mm, it's, it's interesting. This is really insightful. Um, and we're, yeah, like that's, uh, there's so much to go into and, uh, we're running, we're running really short on time, but, <laughs> but, uh, maybe a case study or an ex- example of, of, uh, investments, uh, or, you know, maybe kind of just to, yeah, you know, sure. to disclose names or numbers, but maybe uh, just... I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example of, uh, of one of the deals that I, that came, that came to me as a result of sort of this network. Um, so it's, it's a Hong Kong company and you probably heard of it. It's called GoGo Van. And I yeah. don't know how they're doing yet or, or anymore because they've kind of gotten surpassed by Lala Move. Uh, but at the time, and this was probably, uh, I don't know, 2014, I want to say they were like the premier uh cargo it's like the uber for cargo right so you can rent a van they had the technology where you could basically ping a van if you wanted to make a delivery and they they would be there within you know half an hour or whatever so brilliant concept uh three local guys that founded it um and they these guys were just local guys they didn't know how to run business so Mm. they brought in a sort of more westernized uh ceo and they brought him in his name was uh, gabriel fong and he actually worked for a hedge fund called oxif doing their private equity running their private equity portfolio for a long time very successful he was tired of doing that so he he ended up resigning and he joined this startup because he was like i want to i want to build this company right and so through this sort of family office uh, network, there was an opportunity to invest in uh, w- one of the seed rounds. And this is, um, it was, so here's another sweet spot for early, anyone that's interested in early stage investing. If there's a seed, a late seed, so between seed and series A, oftentimes there's like a seed plus type round. And that is actually the sweet spot where you want to go in because it's very hard as an individual or a small institution or family office to go in at the Series A level. By the time they get to the Series A, a lot of VC investors have already gotten this startup on their radar. So you're talking about like huge check sizes Mm. that you're going to have to. But there's a sweet spot. And then seed is, is more risky because you don't have, you know, a lot of most seeds don't make it to Series A, right? So... When you, you see some traction, there's like a seed plus type round where it's there's a little bit of a funding gap sometimes or maybe they, they lead a, need a little bit more cash to get their business to the level where they can raise the series A round. And if you can go in on that level somehow, mm. whether, and this is all has to be like connections, if you can go in on that level, then that's probably your safest bet as a smaller player. And so that was the exact opportunity that was presented to us. It was like, okay, there's a there's a funding gap of 200,000 US dollars, very small, you know, and they're like, you know, we could, we could probably go to one of our investor, uh, existing seed investors and fill it immediately an institution. But he was like, but what we want to do is we want to try to strategically partner with, uh, some other people and hedge, hedge out our investor base. Um, so, you know, if you're interested, you know, we could probably get you in for, you know, 50,000, something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we ended. I, I ended up having a meeting with 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 Gabe, and um, 
you know, we we talked about it, we looked at it, and I didn't I didn't go in in the end. <laughs> okay. Um, and so for a while there, I was like kicking myself because at the time, I think a few years later, it was like the number one uh, star. This was before. Yeah, Lala I remember it was hot. It was everybody. Yeah. It was on the news and Bloomberg, I think, yeah. out of TV and everything. Yeah. So I, that was that was like, oh, man, I missed it. Like, but, you know, again, I would never have. Uh, it was like someone introduced someone had sent an email that knew him and they were had heard uh, off the record that they had a sh- shortfall, sh- small funding gap that they wanted to fill with uh, so- someone outside of their existing investor base. And then they were like, oh, hey, um, these guys over here, they, they do startup investing. Let's show it to them. And so I had a meeting with with them at uh, at Otomezzo, the Italian restaurant here in Hong Kong. And, okay. you know, we sat for 45 minutes, an hour and, and chatted. And then he was like, yeah, you know, let me know if you want in. And we thought about it, and we we basically said no, we didn't want in, and uh, uh-huh. and then it started doing really well, and we we're like, no, that could have been that could have yeah, been a no, like, win. So yeah, but yeah, that, there's there's a there's a prime example of of how sort of the network um, that helps you get into some of these opportunities. Uh, I know it's all about networking, and well, that's what we're doing, you know, and that's our listeners are you know, and you're even even listening now, you're networking, and I'm sure. You can uh, connect with us and definitely check out Jay's show. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to probably get you back on. We have so much, so much more we could cover on this, and yeah. I, I know it's a, it's a great topic. And, um, but how can people find your show and find out more how to get in touch with you? Yep. Uh, so it's jkimshow.com. and it's so it's pretty cool because we're actually revamping the web website right now nice. uh, and because of sort of the reverse inquiries that we've been getting on uh, on content and, and stuff like that we're actually expanding uh, it to to have much more than just a podcast um, you know it's going to be a full blog site and nice. we're actually going to you know a lot of people have asked a lot of the same questions that you asked me today on the show as like you know how do I invest in Asia exactly. you know what are the what are the first steps I should take? What, what, you know, you have a checklist of things. Can you explain what a family office is? So we're going to address all that stuff uh, on the site. There'll be a lot of free content that you can just download and, and, uh, and get for free. So, yeah, I mean, the site should be actually, by the time this show airs, it should probably be up. Uh, nice. I think we're targeting the first week of July. So nice. Uh, okay. For- yeah, it should be, it should be ready. Awesome, Jay. And uh, it's great to make more connections and, uh, and we'll look forward to getting back on future episodes. So uh, yeah, absolutely. thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jay. It's been great to have you on my show. I was also a guest on his show. If you want to check that out, we'll link it up on the show notes. It actually got some great people contacting me and I appreciate that, Jay. So definitely check out his his podcast too, the Jay Kim Show, linked up in the show notes. And yeah, we're supporting each other, and uh, that's what it's all about, right? Building community, building trust, building help. And I am having fun doing what I do. I hope you're having fun doing what you do. It's uh, it's because life is is short, and we need to enjoy it. I've already noticed how life is short with my kids getting so big so fast and they are sleeping. I need to get some sleep, but you know, I have been plugging more membership and events and things on our show 
I hope that's okay with you guys. Uh, you know, we're getting up to 200 episodes, and I, I love doing this stuff. I love making content. I love making it free for you. Uh, we have to try our best to get some get some back for that and uh, for the super fans, super supporters. And I'm adjusting myself. I'm growing and um, getting out of my comfort zone, pushing the limits. And sometimes you got to put yourself in uncomfortable positions. So I hope you guys do that to you as well in your business and your life. You got to stretch, just like stretching, stretching your muscles, stretching your legs before a run. You got to gotta push it a little bit. So thanks for listening all the way till the end of this show. I know there's so many podcasts out there and so much content out there. So I do appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a great day and keep on rocking. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.